During the pandemic, many of us either binged the Great British Bake Off or straight up started baking. But Brett Boyer and his partner have been running a cottage bakery out of their home since 2018. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I get to chat with Brett about how their business lets them spend more time doing what they love and some of the challenges they faced. It's Thursday, April 26th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Brett Boyer, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. How are you? So good. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah. Ooh, let's get a little backstory because you run a bakery out of your house. Why? <laughs> Explain. Oh, my. <laughs> um, I love the lifestyle. I love being able to be uh. Uh, nimble in the face of sort of economic uncertainty, being able to just pop up once a week. I also love being able to have my coffee and then just start working. I love that. I don't have a commute. I just get to go. And how did you get started? The catalyst. I lived a traditional baker's life for a while, working early and late in the night in the Bay Area. And when we moved to Las Vegas, mm -hmm. there just wasn't really a lot going on that was similar to what I was doing in the Bay. And there wasn't a lot of bread out there. And we were like, why don't we just make the bread that we were eating there? And I was trying to figure out how to do that. And I was looking at farmer's markets. And one of the farmer's market managers was like, hey, you should just do a cottage bakery. And I'm like, what's that? That was in 2018. That's when we started Desert Bread mm -hmm. officially. And the rest is history. Now we're just pumping out uh, loaves and croissants every single weekend. Yes. So what is a cottage food business? And like, how does that work? So cottage food, I would say, is a relatively new construct. And I say that within the last like mm -hmm. 15, 20 years, um, cottage laws started being on the books in various states. I think in Nevada, it was 2013. And essentially what it allows us to do is create certain items that aren't super risky to bake out of your home, right? So like I couldn't make charcuterie and then sell it to people, right? I can't do raw meats and things like that, but bread is relatively stable. And so cottage food is allowing you to make certain things that the health department says are okay out of your home for sale to the public. Um, and I think at first it was really a way for People who were just home and loved, you know, baking or something or wanted to make jams that they would be able to do that. But the pandemic really pushed it in a new direction where we went, oh, wow, now pastry people who work in the industry are making food out of their houses now. It's now professionals that are doing it. Yeah. I mean... I understand a little bit of about about it because I have a friend who started one and she was doing uh, had her own business. But I know you kind of have to make some changes to your home because, I mean, you don't have an industrial kitchen in your house. So what are the things you got to do to to make your techniques work so you get the same quality of bread? Or, or is that even possible? Yeah, it's totally possible. It It took a lot of time in terms of you don't just like have a million dollars like a restaurant does to start up and to put all this equipment in. And so I would say like 
at a home bakery, like you're going to see the quality just get better and better over time because we're going to be investing in things slowly. At, when we first started for the first several years, I was rolling the croissants with a rolling pin, folding the butter in and rolling, folding the butter in yes. and rolling. Yes. I also worked on a dishwasher at a restaurant I worked at, like, you know, one of those bar dishwashers. Restaurants, you know, you think, oh, they are so fancy, but mm-hmm. it's maybe more so in Vegas on the Strip and less so in Oakland <laughs> where you're like kind of not working in the best conditions. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to working in a small space. So I feel like I'm in luxury right now. Like we converted our entire third stall of our garage and, and to a kitchen. That's dope. I'm curious about are you held to the same like cleaning and health inspection standards as a brick and mortar spot? So we don't get like a health grade, for instance. Right. So the way that it works is when you first go into it, you're dealing with county and health. So the health department, you have to kind of create a list of everything that you're going to make with all of these various ingredients and send it off to them. And it's it's a back and forth process. When I first started, I don't even know if they knew what sourdough was at our Southern Nevada Health District. Right. Like there's like what's a culture. Right. There's certain things (laughs) in there that might seem weird. So the county can come out kind of at any time and just pop in and be like what's going on and we actually had a neighbor across from us that did not appreciate us for the longest time but we had done all our i's crossed all our t's and so he wasn't able to stop us from doing what we were doing completely legally who hates bread i tried to give him a loaf when we moved in way before jesser bread and he said we don't eat bread like, do you want, who doesn't want croissants next door? You can be my neighbor. You can move over here. We moved away. We have a great neighborhood. Everyone is amazing and it's awesome. We're coming up on our five-year anniversary. Yay. And we've never had a single health problem or complaint. So we're doing it. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden-up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. So I know you recently wrote an article for Eater about the evolution of the pastry profession. Uh, How have cottage food laws helped change the way pastry chefs or bakers work? Backstory on that article, I I saw this article come out in Bon Appetit magazine, and I I just felt like it was saying that pastry chefs were going extinct, Hmm. right? And the reality was we weren't. We're in the evolution, right? And we're moving in a different direction because restaurants are moving in a different direction. It's not making sense and the the margins are becoming smaller. So when the pandemic hit, restaurants got rid of pastry first, right? We're the $10 item on the end of the menu. 
I mean, I was doing it pre-pandemic, so we were already positioned. But these people who were working under savory chefs who controlled and called the shots, they would give them the dessert and they would say, well, I don't like this piece, do it this way. Hmm. All of a sudden they were like, I'm in my home and I'm going to do what I want to do. I mean, food is fun anyways, but I feel like baked goods definitely have this space to to be sweet, to be savory, to be both things at the same time. Um, and even when I think about the pandemic, mm-hmm. my husband enjoys baking because the precision, oh, he gets off on the precision. He's just like, yes, it has to be like this. But he loves that there is order in baking and that is what calms him. And so when I think about your profession and the pastry chefs, you know, people saying, oh, you're disappearing. It sounds like you're getting uh, a bridge to freedom. I feel like we're in a time where that shift is changing. And so you're going in and you're getting stock desserts that are made in like a warehouse now. Mm. Right. And so there is this shift that we're moving away from the restaurants, but it doesn't mean that we're disappearing it just means that you're not looking for us in the right place like we are here mm-hmm. we're just making food on our own terms and you're getting a lot of the diversity of america now because it's not just french and italian right like there's a cottage bakery in town doing filipino food right yes milkfish bakehouse and so you're getting this plethora um, of really what vegas is right we're getting to see all of us that make up this in in the food that we're making right to me, when we say, okay, what's, what's, what is it about Vegas? For me, it's we have so much spectacle that we're always unimpressed. So you can't, you can't try to say, oh, we have glitz and glamour. Uh, oh, look at this 17-tier cake or this, you know, the largest loaf of sourdough is not going to hit it. So your business, Desert Bread, is, is much simpler. Why do you think that works, though? A lot of people have moved here from California just like us. They know good bread. And they know good pastry. And in California, it's on every block, right? Like desert bread in California would not be unique. It wouldn't be this gem that I feel like it really is. Hmm. We have New Yorkers that come here. Same thing. There's, they're looking for good bread, good bagels. They're trying to find these pieces of home from their other cities, right? Yeah. And we have such a diverse population. We have a French population. We have a German population. They all love bread. They all love pastry. So I think that like they're, I don't think desert bread's for everybody, right? Like I I don't want to say like, oh, this is the end all be all of food. Our customer, this is what you love. They're getting something that I made literally an hour ago, put into a box and handed to them. It's just so fresh and so delicious. I think that's why it works. Yeah. And I do want to challenge you on that, though, because it sounds like your bread's only for people who aren't from Vegas. But I think I feel like people from Vegas also know a slice of good bread or else you wouldn't be making it right. That's absolutely true. Yeah, I we we do have a ton of locals that come as well. Obviously, I'm just saying we have a diverse population. and I think that's why it works. I'll give you an example that our friends tried to like open this spot in New Mexico and they had a lot of trouble convincing people to buy a $10 loaf of sourdough bread because it's a smaller town. I think what Vegas has is we have two cities superimposed on each other. We have this like, you know, multi-billion dollar industry where like I can go see Adele, but then I go back and my population is 2 million people in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in this whole valley. So we have access to a lot more. Las Vegans are educated when it comes to food. 
And I, I see that over and over again. And I love it here. And I love the population. I love the people. Yeah, me too. So I'm thinking about your home. Okay. It's you and your spouse. Y'all are making bread, handling business, rolling, rolling berries into bread. Uh, it's your home. So how do you create a work-life balance when your home is your workplace, especially your kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. You know, it took a long time to get there. I'd say at first, you know, I just felt like we were proofing all over the place and cooking all over the place. And Brendan was the dishwasher for, you know, several years. I know. I felt so lucky. Um, and we were doing Wednesday and Saturday pop-ups. And the way that I created a work-life balance was saying, I can no longer do Wednesday. And it sucks. And I want to, I want to be able to provide for everybody, right? I want, I want people to have access, but I also am like the only person baking. So there's like a limit to what I'm capable of. But at the same time, like I have a workshop there that's like, oh, I really want to try this out. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't have to go to a restaurant to go like tinker with things, right? I have like flour and sugar and eggs and butter like on hand all the time. I don't really think that it's so overwhelming that I need to separate from it, if that makes sense. We also take six weeks off in the summer, usually. I support that because I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah, we take six weeks off so that we have time to go explore food and other countries. And yeah. What advice would you give someone who wants to start their own cottage food business from scratch? You know, you have to realize that you're the social media manager, you're your PR person, you're your back of house, your front of house, your dishwasher, right? You have to do all that by yourself. Accountant. Yeah, your accountant, which I have now, you know, after uh, a time you need one. But I think if you want to start something, you really need to, to, to make sure that you're all in, that this is what you want to do, because it's easier in some senses, for me at least, to go work for somebody else get a W-2, make my paycheck, not really worry about taxes as much or profit and loss from a business. So you really need to say like, this is the thing that gives me life. This is what I wake up and I say, I want to make bread and croissants for a living. And if that's something that you want to do and you feel like you're good at it and people want your product, that's the most important thing. That you can learn the business side and you can learn all the other things. But I'd say you need to, fall in love with what you do in order to start a cottage bakery. You know, it is if you get up and you're like, this is the thing that gives me life and that I care, care about a lot. Then you know, it's worth it. You got to have the internal motivation, but you just, you hit the nerve. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted so bad to be an artist growing up, you know, like the little Brett in like grade school, this little gay kid who were, who wanted to be an artist that I would like draw and it would just look terrible, like (laughs) objectively, objectively (laughs) terrible, right? Like I'm not a painter. I can't sketch. And when I found baking, I was like, oh, this is where science meets art. Yes. Right? Yes. You can create something that's art and then people eat it. And then in terms of business model, well, then they have to come back. It's not like a piece of art that they purchased from you and it's on their wall. Like, oh, you cracked the code. If they want another slice of cake, they need to come back and get that slice of cake. You're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this menu. And I need to know, what am I coming to get from your spring menu? What are my top three 
things I should put in my mouth and eat. Oh my God. Okay. So when we talk menus, it changes weekly. Oh God. Okay. But like, damn. <laughs> what are we known for? Yes. It, spring. It changes all the time. For sure. Yeah. What's coming in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, our chocolate chip cookie is a staple. Like you got to get it right. It's like, I can't, I can't break free from it because it's one of the best chocolate chip cookies out there. It's really good. I get, um, fair trade chocolate. It says no slavery on the package. It's organic. And I just pulled that into a really delicious chocolate cookie with some malt and salt. So are these crumbly or are they chewy? Crispy on the outside ring, completely chewy on the inside. Perfection. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with spring coming, we're going to start getting rhubarb. We've made a lot of relationships with people locally. Um, and so we have uh, friends that have a backyard farm up in Utah. And and they've been, over the last couple of years, curating that back garden to provide us with the rhubarb that we like. So rhubarb will be coming on the menu soon. Um, and we'll probably put it into a croissant. It's going to be this gorgeous, like, flaky rhubarb, probably with some pastry cream. I don't know. So whatever happens that week. I'd say you can't go wrong with anything. It's about what you like. Do we have anything with jalapenos? Is that a thing for y'all? Um, if I grow them successfully, then yes, that, right? It's got to either come from our side garden or somebody that we trust and know. What would be really good would to be do like a, a sourdough pretzel, throw some pickled jalapenos and some cheddar on there and bake it. This is the vision. I'm glad that you know that that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling you when it happens. Yay. You're like, I need some tang. I need some salty, some spicy... I got you. Sweet. Beautiful. Brett Boyer, thank you so much for sharing your food journey, your business journey through the valley with us. And uh, we look forward to coming through and getting a few slices. Thanks so much. Now for a bite of news. We know folks love traveling from Vegas to L.A. and back. So guess what? A new company called Black Lane will professionally chauffeur you to L.A., although it's going to cost you at least $1,000. Also, the new Ben Inn will open this summer and be the city's only boutique hotel catering to an LGBT audience. But yes, straight people, we're welcome too. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and tell a friend. Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Freaking food. Ugh.